0: Tonight, we'll pick up in John chapter 4, verse 27, and now you have an idea of the geography of the land and, and where the well was and where this conversation with the Lord and the woman took place. Here's what it says, John 4, beginning in verse 27, at this point, his disciples, the Lord's followers, came. They were away in the city getting food. They came back. He had been alone, the Lord that is, at the well, conversing with the woman, so at a certain point they returned the disciples come back, and they were amazed that he, the Lord, had been speaking with a woman, this Samaritan woman, and yet no one, not one of them, said to him, "What do you seek or, or why do you speak with her?" They thought it was unusual because she was a woman, she was a Samaritan, she was a social outcast, she had three societal strikes against her, and this unusual Jesus, this Jewish man, uh, was focused on her as if she was the most important person in the world. They, the disciples at this point, were filled with misunderstandings. They didn't know him well, but they are beginning to know him well enough to know, don't question him, because he's always up to something good in this case i'll tell you what i think he was up to he was up to uh, overcoming all social barriers and showing us the universal application of the gospel she was a woman she was non-jewish she was a pariah in her community people separated themselves from her on one or more of those terms and the lord jesus who is no respecter of persons came to focus on her and thus without a word rebuke the rest of us who think one people group is worth more than another Uh, to rebuke the rest of us who still live by uh, societal uh, familial barriers Uh, the lord wants us to cross lines with the gospel that is the common denominator for all sinners that's all of us All sinners need the good news of a savior. And without a word, the Lord is telling us, get out of yourself. Don't talk to me about your traditions. I don't care where you were raised. I don't care what your grandfather told you. I'm telling you, reach out to all people because I came to suffer and die for all people that they might be saved. If I cross the lines, how dare you think you have higher standards than I do? And so he went to this place and ministered to this woman, and look what happened, verse 28. The woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, well, we'll see what she said, but I'm struck first by this. She left her water pot. She was just overtaken by the fact that this Jewish rabbi knew her, though he had never met her. He knew everything about her. He knew about her uh, immorality. He knew about the series of husbands she had but no longer has. He knew about the fact that she was cohabiting with someone right now who is not her husband, She felt vulnerable, but then she felt not only that he knew her, he accepted her. And she never had that experience in her entire life. When people found out what she was made of, they rejected her. But when this unusual rabbi Jesus found out in his omniscience all about her, there were no secrets. And when he somehow communicated to her that in spite of all of it, he would have her just as she is, she was beginning to become good news. She was beginning to entertain the notion that she could stand in the presence, perhaps, of Almighty God and be forgiven all her sins. And so she rushed into the city of Shechem to tell others about this experience. How could you retain it? Wouldn't it be impossible to obey this commandment if it came from the Lord? I saved you, but don't tell anyone. How could you obey that commandment? You would explode. You have to tell. There's something about being known yet accepted. You know, one of our members is uh, Dr. B.J. Garner. Do you know him? He's super. He and his whole family are such a blessing. He recently had a very serious, life-threatening heart attack. While rushed to the emergency room, he had to be up seven times. They'd put those pads on you, you know, boom, 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 boom. Uh, They just about lost him, but did not. And the doctor said to him, "Uh, I suppose you have reason to believe that God must still have a purpose for you because you should not be here now. And BJ said, he does, I know exactly what the purpose is. And when he was able to first thing he did was to get on a phone. He told me this yesterday to get on a phone and called. He's a military man. Call another military friend and uh, uh, to say to him, I believe I know why God kept me alive. It's so that I can encourage you to get right with God through the acceptance of his son, Jesus. B.J. couldn't contain it, you see. He knew that was his purpose, to spread the wealth. So, too, did this woman, the wealth of acceptance and forgiveness, even in the face of the recognition of all of one's sin. So she rushed. She left her water pot, telling me, number one, she was so enthused about what was happening, but number two, leaving her water pot there, told me she intended to come back. In other words, she would not leave her first love. She was excited to do, we could say, evangelism. She was excited to evangelize her own people. But that wasn't the purpose of her life. The purpose of her life was to be with Jesus. Yours too. That comes first. Just to be with Jesus. And in the overflow... We tell others, but the purpose of knowing Jesus is not to tell others. The purpose of knowing Jesus is to enjoy him forever, to be in intimacy with him, to run back to him. So she left her water pad knowing, I have work to do. I will go and tell others about you, but I'll be back to sit at your feet. Don't let the work uh, of service and ministry in Jesus' name rob you of the distinct privilege and joy of being in jesus presence we can become so invested in the work of the kingdom that we sacrifice our time with the king she was going back she left her water pot there she's going back to jesus so here's what she told people in her city verse 29 she said come see a man who told me All the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? This is not the Messiah, is it? Isn't this interesting? Instead of a declarative statement, she opened with a question. I commend that to you as a good evangelistic technique. If you make a statement, it invites people to defend against it. If you ask a question, it invites them to share their opinion, and who doesn't like to do that? Everyone likes to tell you what they think. So, this was brilliant for a new believer. This is not the Christ, is it? Think for yourself. She put it to them. Weigh in on it yourself. She didn't go with a sermon, she invited them to reflect on this. They'd never thought a- a- about it. And so, There she goes. This is amazing to me. She was so good newsed. She went to spread the good news with those who had been bad news to her. They hurt her. They offended her. They rejected her. She had to go to the well in the heat of the day with no other women. They wouldn't hang out with her. And she goes to those very people. One of the real marks of being forgiven by Jesus is that you and I become... Uh, more prone to forgive others. Forgiven ones are more prone to be forgiving ones. And that's what she did. She went to talk to people about Jesus, the very people who wounded her deeply. And here's their response, verse 30. They went out of the city and they were coming to him. When I read this, I thought, boy, we should never underestimate the power of God and his gospel coming through even ordinary people like you and me. In this case, can you see how the words of a fairly ordinary single woman impacted on her whole city? Can you see that? No miracles, no signs, no eloquence, no no, uh, depth of theological training. Just a simple Samaritan woman who was affected by Jesus. And the whole city is affected by her testimony. So here's what happens, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? I love this. Every once in a while when I think, boy, there's just so much I don't get, I don't comprehend, I don't understand, neither did these boys. The Gospels, it's it just was so encouraging. It's filled with a record of their misunderstandings. <laughs> they're, they're reducing spiritual truth to purely material things. He said, I have things to eat, you know not of. And they talk about, the, oh, did someone sneak him some food that we don't know about? See, they don't get it at all over, over here. And so verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Oh man, he wasn't saying that food and sleep and drink and those things are unimportant. He was just saying they are not the essential ingredient of life. You know what he was saying? Man and woman do not live by bread alone. We, ha- we need the sustenance. We, it's really good. But material things, the things that get too much of our attention, he is saying those are not the essential, valued, priority things of life. For him, he said, my nourishment is to be in compliance with the will of the Father. The last time you had the opportunity and privilege to talk to someone about Jesus, didn't you feel euphoric about it? You know you're smack dab in the center of God's will when you are glorifying him by talking to people about him and he confirms it by blessing you richly. I think there's no greater joy but but to represent the Lord Jesus Christ out there in the world. And so he sets the pace here. That's my food, said he. That's what nourishes and satisfies me. And so it's the father's will. The Lord is implying that his children be ready and unashamed to talk to people about him. And so the Lord says to his followers, verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months and then then comes the harvest? It's an agricultural thing here. Behold, I say, do you lift up your eyes and look on the fields? They're white for harvest. He's using an agricultural thing to uh, communicate a spiritual reality. And here's the reality. Uh, Guys, don't miss out on the harvest of souls. I think he may very well have said this while the Samaritans are pouring out of Shechem to this unusual Jewish rabbi Jesus to see if, in fact, he is Christ. And I think he has a visual illustration for them. I think he's saying as the Samaritans are forming an anxious processional to see if Jesus is the Savior, I think the Lord is pointing his disciples who are stuck on material realities. I think he's saying, don't miss it. Don't say someday. Look at them. Look at them. The fields are already white for harvest is what he's saying. Want to hear an irony? The disciples of Jesus Christ went into the village, the Samaritan village, to buy food and did no evangelizing. But the Samaritan woman is the missionary to her people. Isn't that ironic? Isn't God showing us something here? (laughs) They just went to buy food. They didn't think, "Oh God, give me eyes to see the harvest ready to be reaped." They just bought food. They got the stuff off the shelves, they went through the lines, they paid the cashier. That's it. But they weren't about their father's business, but she was the Samaritan Samaritan woman was. Well, the Lord doesn't want his followers to put off sharing the gospel. He wanted them, us, to think and act as if the harvest is ready right now. And so uh, it says in verse 36, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Reaping is a great blessing. Have you ever had the chance? to pray in the presence of someone, or hear someone pray in your presence to confess their sin and accept Jesus as their sin bearer. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, my goodness. You can't put a monetary value on it. It's just exhilarating. Uh, So some of us at times get the opportunity to be the last link in the evangelistic chain and we get to reap the harvest. But there can be no harvest to reap if someone didn't go before us and do the sowing. This is a wonderful picture of how the body of Christ works together for the same purpose of doing great commission work. One sows, the other reaps. And even before the sowing, the ground, I mean, the ground needs to be cultivated and watered through prayer. Everyone can play a role. Not everyone has the same gift or skill set, but everyone can participate in the work of going into the harvest. And so the Lord is saying, isn't this a grand collective effort that he has given to all of his kids? Do something, even if it's prayer, even if it's just praying, which really is not just praying, it's everything. Pray in advance, even, of someone going to a particular person to deliver the gospel. Pray in advance that the gospel would take root in that person's heart. Hardened now, but maybe softened as a result of your prayers. I was in a military barracks, September 5th, 1973. I accepted the Lord. How? Well, a guy told me about Jesus. I got that. Yeah, but how and why did it make sense then? I knew about Jesus. I was raised in America. We know about Jesus here, right? I mean, there's Billy Graham doing his thing. There are churches on every corner. People wear crosses. It's not like I never heard of Jesus. I did why is it at that particular time the spiritual penny dropped and it all made sense someone must have prayed before this guy delivered the gospel because the gospel he shared with me found its seed to be implanted in cultivated ground someone did one time when i was in the military hanging out with christian guys and we were doing evangelism a guy said to me, "Uh, Stuart, prayer is the long-range bombing before the troops go in. Bombing softens up the turf and then foot soldiers go in. Know what I mean? Prayer is the long-range bomb. Someone did the long-range bombing in my life. That's something, see, we all can do. We can all be part of reaping the harvest, even if we're not the one who ultimately reaps a soul. And so uh, it says here in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. If you ever have the joy of leading someone to the Lord, you must not think that you have led that person to the Lord alone. <laughs> you have to know someone labored on behalf of that person before you got there, you, you just, you just got to know that. And, and so in this case, see, the Lord's talking about those who have labored before and you have just entered into their labor. Who is, ta- who is he talking about who labored before? Well, I'm just guessing here a little bit. I wonder if he's talking about the Old Testament prophets. They laid, laid, laid the groundwork. Maybe he's talking about John the baptizer, who we've read about. John the immerser. John the Baptist. Maybe he's talking about him. he called people to repentance. Know what I mean? Surely he's talking about himself. How could there be salvation apart from the empowerment and enablement and conviction of Almighty God? Nobody leads anyone to the Lord, (laughs) the Lord lets us be in the process. But he has to lead people to himself. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, you may get to reap, but don't think for one minute you did it. People have gone before you, you see, and laid the groundwork. So it says in verse 39, from that city, Shechem, the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, a single woman, a social out cast, a non-Jew, and as far as we know, a woman with no formal education nor significant material means, a woman with no significant pedigree whatsoever, a woman who did not have all the answers to the questions sometimes people throw at us, yet the Samaritans, many of them, believed in him, Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. She shared her story, that's all. She told them about this Jesus who knew everything about her and yet accepted her and was willing to forgive her. We may not be theological experts, we may not have answers to all the questions, most of them distracting questions people throw at us, but do you know there's not one other person on this planet who's no who knows more about what the Lord Jesus did for you than you? This is my story, this is my song. Your story, your song. You're the expert on the story Jesus gave for you, and that's what That's what she did. She told her simple and sincere story. In this case, it doesn't seem to be accompanied by wonders and signs and miracles. Simply words. So blessed by God that many who heard believed in the Lord Jesus. She, I'm learning from this woman, used two things in her successful evangelism. One was a good, well-chosen, pointed question and two, her testimony. And who here can't do the same? So that's what she did. Now verse 40, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed, look what it says, because of his word. The Samaritans began their spiritual walk by trusting in what the woman said, but they confirmed their salvation and conversion by soon demonstrating their trust in the word of the Savior. Could I say something a little dogmatic? Someone says, yes, I'm a Christian, but they never read the Christ's word, the Bible, nor seek him in the pages of Scripture nor study it, nor seek to follow it. I'm not judging anyone, I'm just evaluating. I'm just wondering whether the presence of the enfleshed Word of God has taken root in their lives when they seem to have no hunger and interest in the written Word of God. These Samaritans listened to the testimony and good news sharing, by the Samaritan woman, but they didn't stop there to verify their belief in her message about Jesus. Now their faith was being supported and enhanced by, not her words any longer, by his words. In verse 42, they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. I I, I, I find more evidence of these Samaritans being truly saved. Uh, 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 Evidence number one, they moved quickly past the woman's words and showed a keen interest and confidence in Jesus' word. Number two, They realized that the good news message of salvation through trust, faith in Jesus was a message for everybody. They they did not see this message to be one for Jews alone or for Samaritans alone. No, they made this statement. We have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed, look at this, the Savior of the world. One of the evidences of true regeneration in a person's life, it seems to me, is when you are persuaded of the universal applicability and relevance of the good news message about Jesus, he's not the savior of whites. He's not the savior of blacks, of women, (laughs) of men, of rich people or poor people. He's not the savior of Democrats or Republicans. He's not the savior of Baptists, but not Methodists. He's not the savior of Jews, but not Gentiles. These Samaritans, the people whose territory the Jews wouldn't even cross in, these Samaritans knew this Jesus is the savior of the world. The missionary perspective to me is a sign of the regeneration of the one who claims to be a Christian. You know this is the message. This is the inclusive message for the world. You know everyone has a sin problem, and you know only Jesus the Savior is the solution. And you invest in worldwide missionary efforts. You go, or you give, or you pray.